reading this morning is from Acts chapter 4, verse 23. You'll find it on page 1096 of the uh, Pew Bibles. And whilst you are turning to it, let me set this uh, passage in the uh, context in which it is in the, uh, in the Bible. Peter and John had stirred up various things within the uh, city and they were imprisoned overnight then they were brought the next day to the Sanhedrin and they questioned by the chief priests and the teachers of the law who couldn't decide what to do with them and that brings us to verse 23 of Acts chapter 4 on their release Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they, they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. May the Lord bless his word to us and give us understanding as we listen to the preaching of it this morning. A heading uh, on the program which we uh, started um, after the beginning of September, now, here we are, uh, is a promise of Pentecost. This sermon has been planned and um, I want to give uh, three main reasons uh, for this. So it's a one-off um, sermon in the context of our collective uh, meeting together as God's people. What I hope will be helpful is that we can see the work of the Holy Spirit, his presence, and indeed his power in our lives in terms of our Christian experience. There's a tendency to think that once you are born again, you've come to faith, you have the Spirit indwelling you, then all you have to do is keep working hard at trying to be a Christian. You came to faith by, by, by faith in Jesus Christ, but now you're working hard to sustain it yourself. That's often done by genuine and very uh, thoughtful um, people. So, in a way, if this fills just a few gaps, that might be helpful. 
So the first then, I wonder if you have had the experience of hearing something so familiar to you and yet it comes to you and it connects with you with such a freshness and a vitality as if you were hearing it for the first time. There was an occasion here, but I recall 25 years ago, where someone was uh, responding to the collective, the Lord's Prayer, sharing together, where this particular individual had uh, a real, a real, long-standing difficulty about forgiveness. And this lady would have prayed this Lord's Prayer hundreds of times. But like an arrow into her conscience, forgive us our sins as you forgive those who sin against us. Heard it hundreds of times, but somehow by God's Spirit was a pivotal moment that this can't continue. And often times, God's Spirit brings that which is familiar and applies it with challenge and impact and vitality as if you were hearing it for the very first time. Secondly, <clears throat> we had a, a, a visit uh, on a Thursday meeting here on the 2nd of June, which was Ascension Day, uh, the, at the prayer meeting. Uh, a church leader from Swaziland, um, Wandi Shangurai, I think his name is pronounced, who gave uh, prophetic words. Now, as a church, we're not given to that as, as a general pattern. And uh, specific words uh, are given in the first person. So it wasn't a sermon, it was a bit different. It was a prophecy. What do you do with that? Does God speak like that? Or is it just a particular church that has an, an over-emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit and um, well-intended, but perhaps not to be taken seriously. What do you do? What does a community of people do? We had a fruitful retreat as leaders, uh, pastors, elders and deacons, to, to share. Do we think that the sign gifts are finished? And if the sign gifts of the church today, how do we understand God speaking to us? Are they exceptional? Are they normative? How do we bring it to Scripture? And there's a healthy tension which Christians uh, live with and, and wrestle with oftentimes. And you'll know that there are some churches, the one I brought, was brought up in every Sunday, people would give pro pro prophetic words. Um, and the cumulative effect of that be actually became rather tiresome. But that didn't make it wrong. And if some people overemphasize, perhaps others underemphasize. And that's why uh, the third reason is, which uh, um, I wasn't aware of at the time, is the current series in 1 John. And I'd like you to turn to this, uh, because um, trying to see what the Spirit is saying to the church today. Well, he says a great deal through his word, that's for sure. And um, coming to this series that we're doing in 1 John, uh, if you look in chapter 2 and verse 20, Jesus was given an anointing by the Father. Grant read that to us earlier on. And we have an anointing. So, in John, 1 John chapter 2, this is page 1226 in the Church Bible, uh, and verse 20. But you, 
There is challenges and difficulties taking place in the life of the church, probably in their relationships as well. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. And the point we made when we were looking back, that isn't right. Now you can argue and you can debate and win the issues about doctrines and so forth within the church. Well, that's a good thing to do. Or you could recite the creeds. That's a good thing to do too. But it's more than that. You know as in human relationship. So it's more than just knowledge. How do you know you have an anointing? And then again in verse 27. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. Now, that should come to us with greater impact. It's not good enough for us to say, well, we've done the series in 1 John, and that's interesting. Now we'll move on to something else. Yeah, let's do the Psalms. Maybe the Old Testament, something. No, look. You, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach. It doesn't mean you don't need a preacher or what have you. What he's saying is that you have this assurance, as his anointing teaches you about all things, And a third time, as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Keep remaining in the Lord Jesus. And again, in 1 John 3, 24, where we ended last uh, Sunday, uh, those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And how do you know this? We know by the spirit he gave us. So, authentic Christian living is obviously linked to the anointing, uh, the spirit who indwells us, who continues to work in us and through us. Knowing the truth, then, is more than just head knowledge. It's more than um, affirming certain things. It is that, of course, but it's more. Knowing the truth involves emotion. It it involves relation. It It involves affirmation. So, let's just say three things here very quickly uh, about this. Um, this anointing is given for us. Why? To know experientially the truth. Now, it would be absurd, wouldn't it? Those, those of us who are privileged to be married say, so how do I know I'm married? Well, I'll have to go up in the loft and get my marriage certificate just to be sure. Oh, wouldn't that be absurd? And yet, sometimes we treat the Bible a bit like that. Yeah, well, if it says that, it must be so. If, it's, if, I, if I said that, well... You know, I must be married. Obviously, it's a relational thing. It, clearly, it's that. So, what is, is, you see what he's saying. Um, it's for us. You know the truth. But then, secondly, it's in us. We are to live this truth. It, it doesn't all happen in a church. It begins, hopefully, in this collective sense. To live this truth. It's what theologians call incarnational theology. I am the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And where I go, I take him with me. I don't leave him behind at church or at home when I go to work or whatever. And then thirdly, through us. And this is the important part. See the progression. For us, in us, through us. To make Jesus known in a world that needs to hear good news of great joy. Turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Just look at this. It's a fascinating uh, prelude to the coming of the Spirit. And Jesus here is speaking to these disciples who really have almost lost the plot, really. Uh, Luke 24, page 1062. Uh, Luke 24 and verse 45. Jesus is speaking to them. They're not having a good time. They're downcast. They're discouraged. They're disillusioned. They 
can't make sense of the events that have happened to them. It often is the case with us, isn't it? And in verse 45, he opened their minds so that they understood the scriptures. He told them, this is verse 45, he told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in, the na- in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. There's the essence of the gospel. But he didn't stop there, did he? I am going to send you what my Father has promised, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Whatever the good intention of um, saying that we're going to make the the good news known, we need the power of the Spirit to help us. So, those are the three um, main uh, reasons, if you like. Can I use an illustration? Just as there are two kinds of railway stations, there, are, there is the, the railway station, if you like, that um, trains, uh, it's the terminus, they stop and they stay. And there are those where trains pass through to a different destiny. There are two kinds of Christians. Those who receive and receive, and it's a terminus. And those who receive and the Spirit of God works in and through them and makes them to be, if you like, in the language of St. Francis of Assisi, channels of grace and hope and peace and good news. Jesus frequently taught like this. If you turn to um, John chapter 7, just a couple more, and then we'll have some main headings. John chapter 7, and verse 37. And you almost have a sense of our Lord's frustration with the rigidity of, of religion. Religion is often seen as a good servant, but a bad master. And it's the, it's the feast of tabernacles, which has been celebrated, and Jesus is witnessing this. And then in, in John chapter 7, verse 37, just try to get into this. On the last, the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, breaking the, the, the prevailing tradition of, of, of this procession, of pouring symbolically water out of a jar and saying, doesn't this remind us of, of, of our provision as the Jews in the wilderness? And he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. It won't stop there. It will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. So Jesus is still saying to them, I want you to be Christians through whom I can use, and it mustn't stop with you. It must continue to work through you. Change the analogy, just to try to, you can't, there's, the, 
the whole issue of the spirit is multiple and fascinating and diverse. Think of, uh, of the fruit. It's been a good year for plums and um, apples and all the, 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 the fruit that has been abundant this harvest. It doesn't exist for the tree, does it? It doesn't. To hear of grapes withering on the vine is almost a caricature of people who have just stood still and their lives seem to count for very little. It's almost a sense of sadness when you see that. There's no harvest. Fruit does not exist for the vine or for the tree. It exists for others, not for itself. And that is surely the same with the work of God's Spirit, that these gifts are not for the person, but for the good and the blessing of his church. And we have no right to allow gifts to remain dormant within us. Gifts are to inspire and enrich and sustain a community of people. So, the Holy Spirit is given to every believer. And, as Rob was saying in the course of the group and these psalms, to point even more fully to the Lord Jesus. So, I want to say two simple uh, things, two simple comments, really. Uh, one is negative and one is positive. First of all, the Holy Spirit can, can be, and sadly, I think, often is restrained in believers. Here you are, you're a believer. You've come to faith in Jesus Christ. You've received his spirit. In the language of Jesus, you are born again. There's that time that came in your life where you clearly committed yourself to him. And it's not wrong to say, now, what's, what's happened since? How is he working in you now? And it may be with a sense either of embarrassment or despair or whatever, you say, well, you know, I look at the events that have come to my life and, yeah, it's hard. And it may be circumstantial, maybe a hidden sin that just gnaws away at your faith. And every time you have a fresh resolve, you have a setback. The Holy Spirit can be restrained in a believer. And frequently and interestingly, in the letter to the churches, these are the issues that are addressed. In, in, a, in a sense, it's, a, it's an authentic experience of true believers. I'm not happy with my spiritual progress. I'm bored with prayer. The Bible, well, it's just like any other book. And witnessing, no way. And being distinctive, what is that? But I'm a Christian. Frequently the letters address these issues and we are urged it negatively, do not resist the Holy Spirit. If we didn't need that, surely it wouldn't be there. Do not resist the Holy Spirit. And you can do that in all sorts of ways. Or another one, an interesting one, is this. Do not quench the Spirit. Here's the Spirit's fire. It's, it's, it's working in you. And there's certain events that whatever the resolve, it's quenched. And then the third prohibition, if you like, is this. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve Him. Now those are frequent Warning signs to the early believers, and they need to be taken note by us. These are strong negatives about the Holy Spirit, and the danger is one can have almost sort of cynical attitudes. You may have seen a caricature of people who are quite frank, frankly very extreme, and uh, the things 
that they've said and just nothing's happened and you, you, you've seen extreme charismania as it's called and so on. You say, I don't touch that with a barge pull. So you almost overreact. The whole of church history is reacting, overreacting to all that takes place. And maybe you're at a certain place in that pendulum of reacting or maybe you're going the other way. Maybe for you it's tedious to think these evangelicals, it's all just doctrine, nothing else. I want life. I'm going that way. Where are you in this swing, if you like, of the pendulum? The danger is to have cynical attitudes that will quench the Spirit's fire. Don't put out the Spirit's fire, we are urged. Resisting the Holy Spirit can be habitual. It can become a sort of lifestyle. Turn to uh, Acts chapter 7. This is a remarkable, a very, very long sermon. One of the longest sermons recorded in the New Testament by Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. Sure, that's not the result of the long sermon. Um, though you, you might be tempted to some preachers, wouldn't you? Uh, but this, it's the climax to this sermon. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. This is, this is fascinating. He's, he's giving a summary of the people of God, and he's now coming to the application. Verse 51, and it's not very nice. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. Now, what a statement. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Lord Jesus. And now... You have betrayed and murdered him. You who received the law, the word of God, that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. And it became, if you like, simply this habitual. And in, in verse 55, Stephen, they gnashed their teeth and, and in fury stoned him. Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and so on. It's not the end of the story, is it? Religious, but restrained. Yes, if you like, I can say evangelical, but restrained. And it's become habitual. And if that is the case, the only one thing you need to do is to repent of that. The Holy Spirit can be restrained in a believer. But now more positively, the Holy Spirit can be released in a believer. Uh, I appreciate some of the confusion about um, splits among Christian people, good, often laudable people, about experiences of the Holy Spirit. Uh, some believers who say those things do not happen anymore. It's an easy position, isn't it? They're called uh, cessationists. The, the, the gifts have ceased. So that's okay. You, it's not a problem for you. But you can dismiss part of the Bible like that and live in your comfort zone. But you can't do that if you come to Scripture like this. He can be released in a believer. And indeed, I say it, you must be. Some have overemphasized. But should we not be careful about underemphasizing? So two subheadings. The first is this. A gift. There is a gift he wants you to develop. And when Paul was speaking to the church, look at the church in Rome. Look at this. This is quite interesting. Romans chapter 12. 
Let's try to see this um, in terms of how all of us, each of us, have some gift. Ask yourself as I speak to you, what is my gift? And, and if you can, what is the primary? What is the one gift that is greater than the others? And maybe genuinely you don't know and you might need somebody to help you. Think, you know, I really see that you're good at that. Uh, I, I, I remember my father saying to me, who preached a sermon once, and somebody very wisely and very kindly took him aside and said, Cedric, that's not your gift. And he did everybody else a favor as well as himself, I can imagine. But then my father told me this story of a, a, a Welsh preacher from Morriston, just down from where I was born, who liked the sound of his voice, um, and uh, his television broke down. It was those days of black and white television. Some of you are far too young to know about black and white televisions. The tube went. It just used to happen like that. Um, and uh, this engineer was spending a long time repairing his, this pastor's television. And he went in, the pastor went into the parlor, as they called it in those days, to say, this is going to be expensive. Um, give him a cup of tea. He said, don't forget, I'm only a poor preacher of the gospel. And the engineer looked up and says, I know, I've heard you. <laughs> I know. So if, you, if, you, if you're going to develop a gift, be sure it's... You, you know, you see children playing sometimes, don't you, with these um, things where there's a, a square peg that's got to go into a square hole. A ra- You've seen it with your grandchildren. You help them. You say, no, no, that, that star, that won't fit in that. You, you need the right pegs for the right holes. And it can be quite tedious sometimes for some people who think that they have a certain gift and they don't. Or perhaps people know that they have a certain gift and they suppress that. It's all fraught with dangers. But let's come to Romans chapter 12 and uh, verse 4. Just as each of us, sorry, just as each of us has one body, that's our, our physical makeup, with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. It's, it's, it's a, it would be absurd, wouldn't it, to think that I'm just one blob, one eye, one ear, one nose. Well, it doesn't work like that. So in Christ, we who are many are one body. We are the body of Christ. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, well then, Let him use it in proportion to his faith. Be realistic. Be honest. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy and so on and so forth, do it cheerfully. You see the point. We need, as Christian people, to discover or maybe a rediscovery of that which is true of us and use it. And oftentimes, you know, it's true, isn't it? There's a a dovetailing between a natural gift and a spiritual gift. And they complement each other so well. And the one often grows out of the other. We have different gifts. S Club teachers. Uh, I'm indebted to an S Club teacher who pointed me to Jesus. And uh, what what a worthy calling. The unsung heroes in glory will be full of surprises, won't it? We, they've gone out from us here now and they're teaching. And do we think of them? And they, some have done it for years. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a noble, high calling. It's a gift of the Spirit. And encouraging. All of society militates against 
harmony and, and, and openness. What a wonderful thing it is to be an encourager and to be given prayer as, as a vital part of releasing new life. And the ministry of listening. Maybe we're not good listeners. All we need to do sometimes with people is just sit and listen. These are, are, are gifts that, that strengthen the church. A gift you must develop. But also a grace that you have to display. And that one of the problems is some people have had gifts but lack the charisma. They call themselves charismatic. But what's lacking is grace. There seems to be almost an absence of grace. Look at me. Look at my gift. Look what I'm doing. Aren't I important? Really? Well, sadly, that happens. And if, if we're going to develop gifts, we also need to display grace. That's the balance here. And it's not an either-or, is it? By definition, we are all charismatics. If you're a Christian, you're a charismatic. You've received grace. By grace, you are saved. Through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of grace. And this grace is so important. Grace transformed the Apostle Paul from the arch enemy of the church to become a defender of the Christian faith. And grace can transform cynics to be very spiritual. Rebels to become clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Grace made the Apostle Paul Christ-like. And grace needs to make us Christ-like. Grace, God's grace, can do the same for us. That's the point. That's then. This is now. So, what's the application? Well, there is no heart too hard for his grace to soften. There is no life so low that his grace cannot lift up. There is no person so isolated that his grace cannot reconcile. Think of it like this. God does what he does by grace. And we are the children of God and we need to do what we do by grace. We need to display grace more. Whatever our gifts and the danger is that the lack of grace can negate the gift and cause trouble and division. God does what he does by grace. So must we. Secondly, I am what I am by grace. How is this grace working in me? In my home. It's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that when the... Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians talks about being filled with the Spirit. He says, what do you like to live with at home? For some people that would never enter their thinking. Does, does the fullness of the Spirit help me to be a, a better husband, a better wife, a better child, a better son, a daughter, grandparent? What do I like to live with? Is there real, real authenticity in my life with the colleagues that I work with. And it's as if I need to say and we need to say to one another, I let you be who you are by grace. 
So, where is this leading us? Finally, and three brief sentences. Where is this leading us personally and corporately? Let's be careful that we don't grieve the Spirit. Let's be sensitive when we pray. Let's be open. Let's ask ourselves, what am I? I mean, life is so short, isn't it? What, what am I doing here? And can I let go of lesser things in order to hold on to greater things? So, these three things. It, will there be a, a greater openness to the Holy Spirit? I hope that's, that will result from this sermon. A greater openness to the Holy Spirit. And surely we all know that there needs to be a greater obedience to God's word. He speaks to us by his spirit. And his word is truth. And wherever we live, move and have our being. A greater ownership of the lordship of Jesus Christ. And not be afraid by People who marginalize the Christian faith. Christian faith now is, on the, on the, is, is marginalized within our society constantly and will be more so. And for us to say Jesus is Lord takes massive courage among our colleagues or within our family or within our community. Let's be open to God's spirit. Let's be obedient to God's word. Let's claim that ownership that comes from confessing that Jesus is Lord and ask him in, in that prayer that we prayed that he would open our eyes, our mind, our heart, our will, our soul to the blowing, the fresh breezes of his spirit in these, these momentous days that we're passing through. This is our day and we need to grasp that. So let's pray together. 